Tonight, I want you to turn with me, listen for, uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and then just hang on there, okay? These other scriptures, we're going to be talking about a lot of them beforehand. We're going to end up at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Sometimes I like to throw things and like do upside down stuff, you know, kind of mess everybody up. Usually I start out by reading my text, but uh, tonight I'm not going to. I'm going to give you the texts that are there. I want to preach about prayer. If you remember this Sunday... We were at the throne room, and uh, the preacher just—he only got one point in uh, Sunday, but he didn't—he didn't drag y'all out like for two or three hours. But it was—we uh, had a good time Sunday morning, and so I said something in the message, and I asked Patty. I said, "You know who that was for?" He said that was actually for me when I said it's okay to just get one point. You know, and that was for me. It wasn't for y'all because when I go home, I usually beat myself up, but. We had a great time Sunday, uh, all day Sunday. Uh, we had a picnic uh, uh, that didn't really get wet until after we were eating or while that, so it was really fun. I appreciate Brother Adam Jefferson came and gave the word of God to us, preached to us about Matthew 6, verse 33, Man told us that we should be not be anxious, that we need to fight off those things, and uh, I appreciate him bringing the word of God to us, and it's always cool to do it in a different setting sometimes, you know, than just in church. But uh, but Sunday morning, I, I, if you've noticed something, I'm trying my best to preach Sunday morning. And there's a lot of people here, and we're packed in, and I preach. And then I'm trying to go back, if we have Sunday night service, to teach it, or on Wednesday nights to teach it. And I hope that it's helping. I hope that um, it kind of goes, all right, I got too much information Sunday morning, and we need to chew this stuff up. Uh, the way we do that in the South, what we call it, it's chewing the cud. Um, is that you just chew up enough grass you can and you just still chaw, chewing and chawing later. If you don't understand that illustration, buy your kids some little gerbils or some little hamsters and you'll watch those hamsters cram all this stuff in their cheeks and it'll be like this big, you know. You know, this is nasty, but then later on they bring it up a little bit and eat it again, you know. So that's what we need to do with the Word of God. We need to allow it to regurgitate in us, amen, so that it will regenerate us. But, uh, I'm going to start out tonight talking about, uh, remember we said in Revelation chapter 5, and we focused on verse, you know, uh, 7, 8, Sunday, and we was talking about that the golden bowls, the vials is what that scripture said, the bowls, golden bowls that were censers full of incense. It says the one thing that it was the, it was prayers of the saints. And I tried to remind you that our prayers do not go unnoticed by God, that they're continually going up to him, that they're going as a sweet incense. Sometimes they are prayers that we are praying for someone as we prayed for Brother Brandon and his mom this Sunday, a healing that need a touch from God. Sometimes it's prayers of God need direction and discernment. Uh, doesn't matter what the prayer is, it's always tied to heaven if we do what? We ask in Jesus' name and we we seal it with that seal, understanding that the only way that we even have access, us that were Gentiles who once were lost but now are found and saved, the only way that we have that access is what? It's by through the blood of Jesus Christ that we, what did it say? He is the mediator. He is the one, the propitiation. He is the mediator between God and man. He's made the way for us. And so those prayers going up as incense, I can just imagine that 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 kind of smoke, that smell that would be going up before the throne of God and, and him receiving those prayers. And we understand the illustration of it all is that it would be a sweet smell to his nostrils. But at one time, the Bible teaches us one time in Israel's life that the prayers of those believers of the Israelites and the sacrifices 
or a stench in the nostrils of God, that it was a stink, it was a stinky stench in the smell or in the nostrils of God, that what was going on was that they were going through the motions of prayer and they were going through the motions of sacrifice, but they were not coming from the heart. Uh, that's one of the things that I'm so thankful for. I, I really got emotional Sunday night because I'm so thankful for the preachers that preach here at our church because they always preach the text and they make a beeline to the cross and an invitation. Every single one of them, I hope we've all learned that, is that always give an invitation, never go by without giving an invitation. And um, when you look at that, I hope that we understand that when those Israelites were going to the Lord in the Old Testament uh, toward the book of Malachi and the stench was in the nostrils of God, he was saying, you're not doing it from heart. And those preachers that preach and they say in the invitation time, you know, what God wants of you is your, is your life. He give his life, he give his son for you, but he wants you to do what? To trust him and believe in him within your heart, you know, and you'll confess him with your mouth because what's in the heart, the bucket, the well brings up, amen, the well, bucket brings out of the well what's down inside of it. And so we must continue to preach the gospel that we say, hey, you must trust Jesus Christ with your heart. You must believe within your heart and confess him with your mouth that what? Jesus is Lord. And that was written to those Roman people. That book, that, that scripture is out of the book of Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, all the way down to verse 13, uh, 17, actually. But when you look at that, the Romans were the ones that were those Roman Christians. They were being led into this huge Colosseum, and they actually had animals that were waiting to be uh, unleashed upon them or swords from gladiators that were ready to slice them open or they were fixing to be sewn into the carcasses of animals but they were given another chance by the great orators that were in the Colosseum. They would say with a loud voice if they would just denounce Christ as Lord and they would say that Caesar is curious, that Caesar is God, that he is the one, then therefore they would be set free and nothing would be harmed of them and they would let them go. But the people would say we can't do that. They confessed with their mouth. They said, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus is curious, that he is Lord, he is God. And they couldn't go, and so they would kill them. So that's why it's so important for us as ministers of the word of God, you and I, not just preachers, all of us here tonight, to share with people is that they've got to come to a decision that they don't just feel bad for their sins, but that they realize Jesus Christ is Lord. And if he is Lord, then I must submit to his rule and to his authority. And so imagine those prayers going up, and, and God says eventually that it was a stench. Why? Because it wasn't coming from their heart. It was only coming from their actions with their hands. It's actually what Jesus said to the uh, Pharisees. What did he tell them? He said, you worship me. You praise with your lips. Your heart is far from God. You do all these things, but your heart is far from him. And listen, the best thing that we have, the 100% best thing that we have is a connection with God that's prayer, okay? Y'all look at me. Don't look at the blue screens going off and on. I know that's what's happening, okay? If we have a connection with God, it's prayer. And that's where we need to realize that we have an opportunity. It's a privilege. It's not a right. It's not a right, and we need to stop treating it as some kind of right. We have an opportunity and a privilege to be able to talk to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We, need, we have an opportunity to be able to take, our, to take our petitions to the Lord in prayer. The first thing I want to show you, listen to what Psalms 54 verse 2 says. It says, hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. Up there on your study notes, if you're writing these things down, that's what the text is. It's actually Psalms 
uh, 54 and verse number 2 and then another one that we're going to add there to it if you wanted to write it down. He says, I'm glad that the Lord hears my prayer. And that says, give ear to the words of my mouth. You know, so many times we're wrapped up more, us as Christians, we as Christians are wrapped up more in how God is answering our prayers than just the simple fact, Brother Bill, that we talk to one that he hears us. You know what I mean? If we trust him enough to take our greatest needs, our greatest trials, our greatest situations, even the depths of our heart that we can't speak to other people. Have you ever been in prayer services before when you're asking anybody to have a request? And we know Brother Brandon and I would say, continue to pray for my mom. And you know, Randy would ask prayer, continue to pray for me and my dad and relationship. And we would go through all those things. But have you ever noticed when the preacher says, is there any unspoken prayer request? I remember when I first got saved, I used to kind of get a little tiffed about that because I was like, why are you not asking? Ask and you shall receive, you know. And then I would come to realize, I really did. I, I was young, I was youthful. None of y'all were, I was. But I used to think, why would you hold back a request? Tell it all. Tell everybody, amen. I mean, if you had Facebook back then, you'd tell it to Facebook. Y'all have not heard that great gospel hymn? Tell it to Facebook, tell it to Facebook. You know, take all your troubles. and tell, Everybody does, no. But I started realizing. I started looking at the faces of those people that were asking for unspoken requests. And I started realizing that those were requests that sometimes they would not be able to get out of their mouth because it hurts. It's a pain that's there. It's one that eats at them. And they all they can know is just, just pray for me. You know what I mean? And so I'm glad that we have a God that will just, just hear us, that he will listen to us. Psalm 66 also in the text tonight is this. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. David said in Psalms 54 and 2, he said, you know, I'm just glad that I can be able to pray and he hears me. Or, Lord, please hear my prayer. But in Psalm 66, verse 19, he says, God's heard me, and he's attended to the voice of my prayer. First thing I want to talk about when we want to get through this real quickly is that, number one, is that when we're praying, our prayers should be aimed toward the Father. Our prayers have got to be aimed in a certain way. Uh, I think that if there's any problem with Christianity or people today in the Christian walk in their prayer life, if they're having a problem is that they're aiming in the wrong way. Our focus has got to be toward the throne. It's got to be toward the Father. It's got to be, and you say, why? Because he's the supreme one and he's the sovereign Father. He is the Father that says that he will not withhold anything from you. He is the Father that said, you try me and see if I will not pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. He is the Father that says, if your earthly fathers know how to do good unto you, how much more does your heavenly Father do good for you? He is the one that we should aim our prayers to. And what I mean by that is I think the most difficult task in prayer time is what? We get wrapped up in what's going on. If you've got a situation that's something that happened immediately and something happened fast, whether it's a missing child or whether it's a wreck or, or, or whatever it may be, it's a, it's a quick thing. And automatically, you are walking along in this such somewhat peaceful sense, somewhat serene sense, and all of a sudden, it is like a dam has broken, and now you are drowning in a situation. And you're going, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And sometimes, we get our focus off on the situation more than aiming our prayer to the Father. We've got to readjust uh, re, uh, our sights and look toward the Father. I put it like this. In, in our terminology, if we're in the South, this is the way I would put it. You've got to dial in a, a scope on a rifle. 
If you don't, you're going to miss a lot of the times. Some of my favorite times when I used to go hunting was whenever we would go and shoot. Because when you go hunting for deer or anything, I mean, you really one shot, two shots, three shots if you're bad, but you would really want to knock them down with one shot. Uh, you know, I, I hold the record, I'm 100%. One shot, one kill, that's it. I did it. Eight point, done. Amen. I cleaned him, ate him, everything's over with. And so uh, I did all of that. One shot was all that it took. My brother was over there going, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him, shoot him. And I'm like, wait, and I will get him. 30-30, no scope, you know. And I, uh, I guess I am bragging. It was a pretty good shot. It was a pretty good shot. Especially to go for five years and never see one. Every deer that I ever saw for five years already had a hole pre-drilled in it by somebody else. And then at 9.30 in the morning, my brother's eating an apple and he sounds like Mr. Ed going, and I'm going, we're never going to see anything. It's just useless. Useless. And here comes a doe and jumps the fence and the other one behind it was going on the fence and I couldn't see it and then it come up looking like bullwinkle and I was like, whoo, you know. But I didn't have a scope. But I used to have a gun. I had a 270, and I used to go and sight that thing in. I loved it. Why? Because you just want to shoot a whole box. It's fun to shoot, right? Anybody, anybody in here own a gun? We're not going to put you in prison tonight. You know what I mean? Uh, pretty much the South is all right with this stuff. It may be other places that may criminalize me, but uh, you have to dial that thing in. And the way that you do is you shoot, but then you look, and you go down and see the target, and you readjust. If you're somebody that doesn't like guns, and I'm terrifying you right now because I'm talking about them, same way with a telescope. You've got to dial in a telescope. You know, I heard a preacher friend, Mac Brunson, that pastors Valleydale Baptist. Brother Mac is pastored Dallas First Baptist, where W.A. Criswell pastored. He pastored Jacksonville First Baptist, where there's 25,000 members, and now he's at Valleydale in Birmingham. And uh, God's doing a great work. They have about uh, probably about four, four to 5,000 people. And uh, I heard him say something the other day. Do you remember a few months ago in his message? I'm going to use his illustration, but in his uh, four, about probably four weeks to a month and a half ago, uh, Saturn was supposed to be visible at night because the way that the sun and the moon was situated, the sun was supposed to be hitting the moon, and the reflection was going to hit the rings and the and the uh, planet of Saturn. And so they were telling you know, just like James Spann tells you, you know, get ready. There's going to be a meteor shower tonight. I don't know about y'all, but why does the meteor shower always have to be at like 2 in the morning? Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to wake up at 2 in the morning and watch a meteor shower. You know what I mean? I don't even want to wake up at 2 o'clock and take a regular shower. But you look at, he said, he said he had a telescope and he's trying to dial this thing in. And his wife is saying, you got it yet? You got it yet? You got it yet? And he's like, no. And he said he's trying to dial it in. He could not get it to focus. He could not dial it in. He could not get it to reflect and come in. And he said that he just went and put it on the moon. He said, here, he told his wife, look at that. Look at the moon. And she went in at about 11.30 or 12. He said he's still out there just trying to bring it in. He's very hard-headed like I would be. He's trying to get it in. He said he goes to bed and he was never able to do it. He said, man, all night long, all I thought about was I just wanted to see those majestic rings around Saturn. I wanted to see as the sun was reflecting off the moon and it was shooting over towards Saturn. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it. He said the next morning, the next afternoon, he realized what it was. He said in the area where he had his telescope set up, he said there were all these low wattage landscaping lights all around. He said in all of those pusillant, incandescent, whatever, low wattage lights, it said, because he was trying to draw the light of the majesty of Saturn and its rings into that telescope, he could never do that because of all the other low wattage lights that was sucking the source out of it. You know, and isn't that just like us? 
It's just like us when we're trying our best to seek the majesty of an almighty God, trying to give our prayers to Him, that when our aim is not focused right, it will get off on other things. And before long, we're no longer praying and aiming our prayer to a holy God and a Father of all of us. We are aiming our prayer toward our situation or towards some person or towards some doctor report or towards something else. And we've got to refocus our aim. Listen, James says this, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Actually, what that's translated is is that you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you would spend it all on your pleasures. In other words, you're just asking for your own selfish thing. If you've ever found yourself in prayer time where you're needing God and you're always talking about the situation that's going on and you're never talking about how great He is, how holy He is, how honorable and wonderful and majestic that He is, then listen, your aim is off. You're focused on what you're going through and you're focused on what the problem is instead of focusing on what the solution is. Amen. The second thing is this. Our prayers are aimed toward the Father, but they are accessible through the Son. We talked about this Sunday a little bit, but I wanted to go back and just share some things with you. Listen, if it's not for Jesus, then we would be bankrupt. We wouldn't have anything. If it were not for Jesus, then our prayers, church, listen, first of all, we wouldn't have that access. Thank God that the middle wall of partition that was at the temple there was torn down. Then now that all of us, we have an access to God. The Bible says that we were without hope, without the covenants, without God in the world. We were lost, amen? But it tells us now we have wonderful access through the blood of Jesus Christ. I just want you to look at these scriptures and understand something. Look at Matthew chapter 18 right here, verse number 5. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 5 says, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. First of all, we love through the name of Jesus Christ. We're able to love others through the name of Jesus Christ. When we receive a child, a little child in his name, then we receive him. Understand something. John used to love to use this. He used to love in his gospels and excuse me, in his later on in his scriptures, he would always say little children. Little children, listen unto me. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Little children, flee youthful lust. He would call them little children. What he was talking about was not necessarily from the ages of birth up to five or up to eight years old. It wasn't an age thing as much as it was a brand new believer in God because you must be born again. And so when we are born again, what do we do? We basically are now understanding what we should do and how we should live. If you've been saved for a year or two years or three years or less than five years, understand, whenever some preacher preaches and the gospel is read and the word of God and words of Paul are read there in the New Testament and it talks about babes being on the milk and being children and little children, don't get offended by that. Understand that you are growing in God and that, listen, as the devil's telling you you're never going to amount to anything, God's telling you you're a child, you need to grow, you need to be nourished, you need to grow up in the faith and to grow up in the strength of the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible tells us right here that whenever we receive a little child in his name, then we receive him. And I believe that it's not only talking about age, but I think he's talking about receiving other people, those that are new believers, that when they come in, and I even look at it where the scriptures talk about that it would be better that a millstone be hung around your neck than you offend one of these little ones, right? That it's better that we have a millstone hung around our neck and thrown out into the sea than for us to take a brand new child of God in Christ and to offend them and to turn them away. Listen, so much stuff could be done, but Jesus says without him, we really couldn't love. 
The Bible teaches us that in the New Testament. It says that without God, it says God is love, you know, and uh, that we love people because we love God. And it tells us that you know not God, for God is love. Amen? And we know not love either sometimes. You know, we don't know how to love people. Brother Bill, if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus loved me and died for me, and I understand that now. I don't understand why. I just understand that he did. Then I now can, in turn, love someone else. But look what the Scripture says. When you receive such a one in my name, we're able to love through the name of Jesus. Matthew 18, verse 20 says this. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Not only do we love in the name of Jesus Christ, but we worship in the name of Jesus Christ. Every time we come together, whether it's here, whether it's at home, whether it's at a Bible study, no matter what, if we've come together to worship, we don't come together in our name. We don't come together in the pastor or the preacher's name. We don't come together in the song, the group, and who's going to be leading the singing. And, and you know, I, please don't misunderstand me. And I told you I don't split hairs. I'm not able to do that. But so many times we call, and Brandon understands this. He and I have talked about it. Worship leaders. And that's why, Brandon, we've come to the set, uh, conclusion, minister of music, minister of, of song. It, it, he's a minister. You know what I mean? Uh, many times people want to call themselves a worship leader or we call this a worship song. We call these things. Worship itself is not contained in just the musical side of what we do at church. And even in the sense of what we would call a worship service itself it's not just contained. What it means is, is that everything that we do within the confines of that service, within the parentheses, within the quotations of that service, everything that we do, even when we turn around and tell someone good morning or good evening, shake their hand, hug necks, or ask them how, everything that we do should be to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. When we meet together, if we could get this in our minds, and especially dug down into our hearts, that when we gather together, whether it's two or three, in the name of Jesus Christ, that he would be there in the midst, that we would really understand what worship is all about. I, I, I've been in restaurants before. Man, listen, worshiping God, praising God. I've been in places before where someone comes by and they have a bad situation and say, would you pray for me? We pray right there. I've learned to pray there because if I don't, I'm a forgetful person. And you pray right there with them. Listen, we worship. We love through the name of Jesus. We worship through the name of Jesus. Mark chapter 9, verse 41 says this, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. The Bible says that we labor together in the name of Jesus. We're working together. We love together, we worship together, but we are working and we are laboring in the Lord. If you've not noticed, all of these scriptures have had one key phrase in it, and it is what? In my name. Whosoever you shall give something to drink, a cup of cold water in my name. It says, you belonging to Christ, that you will in no wise lose your reward. If you go on a mission trip, if you go, if you help with the helping hands, if you do whatever, and just simply giving a cup of cold water. I heard it put like this one time, just putting a cold compress on somebody's head that may have a fever. Wrapping up somebody's hand, wrist, or ankle that they have hurt themselves. Reaching over to a child that has, you know, drop their sucker on the ground and you're there to help them and do something for them and you're doing all of these things you say brother steve you're being real petty what we don't do all those things in the name of jesus well, we should because when he tells us giving a cup of cold water 
That is one of the most small, insignificant things that we could actually think about. You know what I mean? You tell somebody today, hey, I walked all the way over here to give you this cup of cold water. They'd look at you and say, I wanted a Coke Zero. You know what I mean? It's a small thing that you can do, and we've got to get our mindsets wrapped around this, that whatever your hands find to do, do it heartily, heartily as unto the Lord. Listen, because why? That's who we labor for. We are ambassadors, the Bible has taught us that. We are laborers for Christ. So whatever we do, we love, we worship, and we labor in the name of Jesus. But remember this, whatever we ask, whatever we ask or pray, we must do so in the name of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 13 says this, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, here's where people kind of get into this, what we would call a prosperity style of gospel and preaching. They look at this and they believe, well, we can just do, and man, God said he's going to give me a, a car, and God said he's going to give me a boat, and God said he's going to give me a house. He said, whatever you ask, he'll give it to you, but you're, you're not understanding in that scripture. The understanding in that scripture is in this last thing, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, that prayer mindset, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, and what it means is, is you are speaking to what? Your aim to the Father, you have access through the Son. It means that as you're aiming your prayer to the Father, you are praying to Him, you are talking to Him, you're bringing your petition, your request, but it's all wrapped up in these words, the same words that Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. God, if this is according to your will, and if it brings glory to you, then you do these things. Jesus prayed these things. Jesus even prayed one time, he said, Father, glorify thy name. And he said, I have, I've already done that. I've glorified thy name and will glorify it again. And listen, what he's talking about is that Jesus says, as you're aimed toward the Father and you're praying, then you need to bring me into this conversation because without me, you have no access to my Father. And does anybody understand what I'm trying to say tonight? Let me put it to you in warrior terminology and Steve, and Steve theology. Simply like this. Whenever I was growing up, you know, you always hung around with cousins. And then when you grow older, you, you don't see each other except for funerals, weddings, and uh, um, uh, uh, sometimes family reunions. If you have one Christmas, maybe every now and then. You know, talk, cousins, you know, they're everywhere and stuff. Uh, I mean, they're so spread out in the South and Alabama, people even marry their cousin. But anyway, um, you get your cousins together, man. And I remember this. Friday, I'd come home from school, and I'd go, I'm going to go over to my cousins. We're going to spend the night together. We're going to walk down the railroad tracks. We're going to do all kinds of stuff. That's what we used to do when we were kids. They used to let us go and do whatever we want. Actually, it wasn't that way. Let me take that back. They told us to get out of the house and not come back till dark and uh, just don't do anything bad. You know what I mean? We, we did all of them but the last thing. And uh, I'll never forget, you know, you're over there at your cousin's house, you know, and you're, you're, you're you know, just having a good time. Then it's getting dark, and mom and dad say, you know, we're, we're about to go home, buddy. Y'all need to go on back there and clean up everything. You know how it goes. If you, if you understand me, you know what I'm fixing to go to. If you're at their house, you don't go in there and ask. I don't go in there and ask my parents if I can stay there. Huh? You know what I'm saying? No, 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 no. You get your cousin to go in there and ask. You know what I mean? And they look at you and go, what? That ain't my mom and daddy. You know what I mean? And I always tell them, but if you ask... But this is the way it always fell. Let me tell you how it always fell. Always got in trouble for it, too. They'd go in there, and they would come out of the gate and say, Steve said he wanted to spend the night. Is that all right with y'all? I'd be like, man, you were supposed to tell them that you wanted me to stay. 
I told them that I would not ask on the way over here. You were supposed to set it all up and you blew it, you know. But all he needed to do when he got to my mom and dad was to say, it's what Steve wanted. Church, I know that sounds crazy, but when we go to the Father, we only have access through Jesus. We only have accessibility. We only are able to go to the Father and say, Father, the Father of all creation, the, the, the Creator, God of all creation, the Father of all the believers, all, I'm asking you to please, please touch my family, please touch my father, my mother, my son, my daughters. Lord, I, I, I'm asking you to please help me in this situation that I'm in. And I ask on behalf of your son who's told me that if I come and ask you, and it's according to your will, and it glorifies Jesus, that you would do it. That you would do it. See, the key is, is that just because you ask for a new truck, that doesn't necessarily mean it glorifies Jesus. Most of the time, that glorifies you. When you're in true prayer life with the Lord, you know what you're doing? You're only focused on aiming your prayer toward, prayer toward the Father. And look, you get the glory, God, no matter what. I have a friend of mine that's going through cancer treatments for the fourth time in his life. He's a dedicated man of God, a warrior, an absolute warrior for Jesus. Military veteran, always going every Saturday without fail. They took his body and took some stem cells out of him and put them over here in a jar or dish. And then they took his body through such treatment of radiation and other things that they took him to like death is here, he was right there at it. They brought everything in his whole body just down to the point where they drained him. And then they went back and took those stem cells and put them back in him. And now they're waiting on them to renew themselves and to do, in order to kill the cancer cell, they took him all the way down. And uh, he even, he's 67, 68 years old, has to go back and have all of his immunization shots that he had his whole life as a child because it's like turning the body off, rebooting it, and starting it up. It's a procedure that some people can't do. And uh, much of many people can't do it because of the point where you get all the way. This is what every Saturday, without fail, even through all of his treatments, every Saturday, I get a text from him that says, Mighty warrior of God, preach the gospel like never before tomorrow. I'm praying for you. God would use you to his glory. But when he found out for the fourth time that he had cancer, he sent me a text, a long text, a prayer request. And you know what it said? At the very end of it all, and I was blown away, he said, please pray for me that I will not waste my cancer for the glory of God. Steve, I will be placed next to people that are angry and bitter and mad and frustrated, and I'll be able to share the gospel with them. Pray that I don't waste my cancer and I was like not, it's like what Jesus said about that woman I've not seen such great faith in all of Israel you know and I was like brother without a doubt I'll be praying for you and I'll be asking God all the time but without fail he's praying and saying preachers preach the word and do that see is our prayer lives that same way are we more concerned for the glory of God and his word getting out of us than we are for our own selves, or are we more concerned about our own selves is what I meant to say. Listen, the last thing is this, that it's aided through the Holy Spirit of God. Our prayers should be aimed to the Father. We have, they are assessed 
or accessible by the Son, but they are aided by the Holy Spirit of God. When we can't seem to articulate the words, you know, when we can't seem to get out of our mouth sometimes in prayer what we really want to say, the Bible gives us a wonderful scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. It says this. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But, for the, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You know, the scriptures are actually translated in this way that it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our infirmities, what's coming in our weaknesses. It helps in our weaknesses. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And it says, And he who searches the hearts and knows what is the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And what it's talking about, church, is. There are some people that take this scripture so out of context and they, they twist it, they move it around a little bit, and they try to say that in this scripture that the speaking in tongues issue, that therefore the Holy Spirit, when you're, when you're praying, that you have a prayer language and that you begin to say these things that you don't understand because they are groanings that cannot be uttered and all of this stuff. But what that scripture is talking about, listen, if you go back all the way through uh, Romans right there in that one chapter, He's telling us at first that our bodies are groaning for redemption. You know, this body groans every morning. Uh -huh. And it comes out of the mouth sometimes. Oh, you know, like it's, you thought you were having cereal, but it's the other snap crackling and popping, right? Our bodies groan for redemption. It says to wit the redemption of the body. That, listen, these carnal bodies, fleshly simple bodies that are decaying are groaning out for what? For a perfect immortal amen incorruptible body and we are going to receive that someday and that's why in that one scripture at the very beginning of it he says likewise because he's trying to put these two thoughts together he's talking about groaning and not understanding sometimes why the body is so frail and why it causes so much pain and all those things he says likewise also not only does the body groan out but also the spirit our spirits grown out says that the holy spirit of god listen if we have been saved, and we have trusted Jesus, and He is our Lord. Listen, the promise is what? That He's given us the earnest of the Holy Spirit of God, which means that He has given us the Spirit of God, which now dwells in us internally, and He indwells us inside, amen? He lives inside of us. He lives in you, He lives in you, He lives in you, and you, and you, and all of us. At the exact same time, it's a comforter, the Bible says in John chapter 14. It's the wonderful parakletos that means that He's walking parallel with us. He's right there within us. And thank God that we don't have to pray alone. Not only do we have access to aim our prayers by Jesus Christ to the Father, but it even teaches us that the Holy Spirit living inside of us, which is a discerner, which is one that will teach us. What was the job of the Holy Spirit? To come and to teach you all things, whatever I've said unto you in John chapter 14, that we have the Holy Spirit now inside of us that is teaching us what? That we should surrender to the will of the Father. He teaches us that when we pray, He does what? He helps us in the guidance of our prayers. He does. I believe with all of my heart. There are times when I can't find the words to say. Not only in the deep parts of just being broken, but even in just general terms, I, I write my prayers many times, and when I write them down, I'm trying to find the words to tell God, Brother Heath, how much I appreciate and love Him. I always come up 
empty when I read it back. I'm trying my best to describe how much I appreciate him and how much I care for him and how much I love him. When I go back and read it, most of the time it's a confession of sin, a confession of you know, this and this and this. And I look at it and I'm like, Lord, I never can find those words. But I always say in my prayer, always even write it down, Lord, you know the spirit within me because your spirit dwells in me. And if your spirit dwells in me and it's connected to my inner man's spirit, the woman within you, the man within you, listen, the spirit that was given at the beginning, not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of life, and if it's connected together and I'm speaking and he's a discerner of everything, then God, you know everything. That doesn't mean that you should just go to your prayer life and go, Lord, you know everything about me. Love you in Jesus' name, amen. No, you should talk to him. When you can't figure out what to say, it doesn't come out as gibberish. It doesn't come out as an unknown tongue. It's not what the scripture is teaching. It comes out as a groan. It comes out as a groaning of the spirit. You remember in the Bible, in John chapter number 11, the Bible says that Jesus was there and he was telling the disciples that he was going to go and uh, wake Lazarus up. And they said, Lord, if he's sleeping, then he's doing good because he was sick. And he plainly had to speak to them and he turned around and told them, he says, he's dead. You know, and they were like, man, we need to, they were wanting to hurry it up then and get over there. Remember, Martha comes out and said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Mary comes out and said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Do you remember all the people that were around him? This is where I get kind of frustrated with people and they mistranslate the word of God. The Bible says in John eleven thirty five 35, that Jesus wept. And all of a sudden, those people, those Jewish people that came from Jerusalem to Bethany because it was not far away from Jerusalem, they come out to see what was going on and to comfort them. It says, when they saw him weeping, they said, oh, behold, how he loved him, and all of these things. They, people try to teach that, that Jesus was crying because Lazarus was dead. But Jesus, understanding and knowing already that he was coming to raise him and to do these things, then why would the weeping be about that? Because he's about to give glory to the Father. But I look at the scriptures and understand that it was their disbelief. Their disbelief and their misunderstanding of it all the Bible even says in one place, it says, he told him to roll back the stone and all that, and it says that even Jesus groaned in the Spirit, groaned within himself, groaned within himself. What do you mean by that? It's that sometimes we don't understand. The Bible says in Luke 23, there's a very vivid picture of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is in agony. He is in great torment in his heart, mind. He's trying, listen, he's a God-man and the God's son, all of this together, he's there in the garden, and he's praying. And he is asking his father, three times he went back in prayer and asked his father to do what? You can take this cup from me. Let it pass. He's praying in agony, sweat, it's great drops of blood. Listen, but what happened? He's groaning in the spirit. He's, he's, listen, he's praying. That's what this scripture is teaching us, is that sometimes we don't know what we should say. That's what the scripture says in the beginning. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. So, Brother Steve, I'm not understanding, and I may end up closing with this part, but when your child has fell down and hurt themselves, they've skint their legs or they've, you know, broken their arms or whatever, and they, they come running to you, yet... They're like in, in full boohoo mode. If, you know what, anybody know what that is? You know what I'm talking about? They're full boohoo mode. And you're like, 
I mean, you're working out in the farm, you know, you're, you're, you're in the garden and, or you're outside sitting on the back porch and you hear that shrill, that, that scream, and you know that's not a fun, happy kid. There's something wrong with my kid and they're screaming, you know, and they're crying and all of a sudden they come running to you and they can't get up. <laughs> they're crying and you're just looking at them going, would you calm down and tell me what happened? Would you tell me what happened? And they can't do that and they're pointing to it, but they're just in pain and they're in agony. You know what? You understand as being their parent. You understand now what's going on. I, I don't think I could ever be a pediatrician because that would be very hard to diagnose certain problems sometimes, you know. What about when they grow up and they're teenagers and that goofy boy, that ugly-looking boy with the big ears and big old nose broke up with your daughter? You know what I mean? And she comes home, she's broken, and she's like, oh, I thought I was going to marry him and all that. And you're going, doofus? I mean, he was ugly, you know? I mean, you need to learn these things, right? That No, good riddance to him. I mean, he looked like that cartoon on Mad, you know? He had big old ears and stuff. No, they don't know how to talk to you. You know their heart's broken. But they don't know how to tell you. They don't know what's going on. They can't, they can't say it, and they want, they want to tell you this. I just, I just need to be alone, or I need to do this, and they say, you begin to bear witness with them. You begin to understand why. Because you're their father or you're their mother. You can understand even their groaning. You know, you can understand even a young baby that doesn't feel good because of a fever or temperature. You can feel their bodies. Yes, they're warm, but you can also look at them and know they don't feel well. You know you have such an access to God. In the New Testament, us New Testament believers, we have such an access to God, aiming our prayers at the Father, having the access through the Son, that all of our prayers are aided by the Holy Spirit, that we are guided, parakletos, the comforter. The Greek word means that he is parallel, right side by side. When you can't find the words, to tell him, understand this, he hears you. And if he is your father, he understands you. He knows you. If you would, your homework for this evening or tomorrow is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. That's the part we wanted to get to, and I'm not going to do it tonight, and I'm not going to go through and preach that at all. <clears throat> but I want you to go home and read about Paul's difficult prayer. Paul was an apostle, and he had a difficult prayer life. He had one where he asked God three times to do something. Paul said, God, please take this thorn from my flesh. And the thorn, Paul said it was a thorn, which means it afflicted him. But he also said it was a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And buffet means to inflict him. In other words, to poke and to prod. He knew that. I look at the scripture and understand, if you want to write this scripture down too, it's in Galatians chapter number 4, verse 13 and 14, so that you won't be misunderstood when you read it but Paul's thorn is given as a description I believe in Galatians 4 13 and 14 Paul was beat with rods he was beat with whips he was imprisoned many times stoned listen he there's times that he should have been left for dead and something about Paul's physical appearance was disturbing to people it was disturbing is what Galatians says and it was such a disturbing way that Paul was seemed like it was afflicting him all the time and it was a thorn in his flesh but if you read it real closely, you'll understand that it was like Satan was trying to hinder Paul from preaching the gospel. You know, I know you may not think this about me, but I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't think a whole lot about who I am. I don't think a lot of myself. You know, there's probably other people that think, but I, I always, I am my worst person, I am my worst enemy. 
my thorn is always killing me. It's just, it's every day, it's every day. And sometimes I, I look at it as a hindrance. Sometimes I look at it as a very huge flaw. But then at other times I look at it as God's watching over me and not allowing me to build, be built up with pride. And see, Paul couldn't see what God was doing because Paul said, take it away, Lord, three times. And God said, no. He said, but I'll tell you what, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And listen, Paul couldn't see the whole thing. Paul didn't get mad, Brother Adam, when God said that. Paul said, then I will gladly, therefore, glorify my infirmities. He said, then, all right. You know what, Paul? Paul was the kind of person that said, all right, Lord, if it doesn't bring glory and honor to you by taking it away, but it does bring glory and honor to you by me continuing to walk with it, then I would rather walk with it that the power of God may rest upon me than to walk without it and not have the power of God. That's where our prayer life is at. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we...